HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week's episode of Meat in 3 is inspired by the reemergence of Cicada Brood 10. We're talking all about insects. Some people are calling crickets the gateway bug because that's a great introduction to what edible insects is all about. So we found detectable levels of cesium-137 in 68 of 122 total honey samples that we had. Ah, what is that? Is it tarantula? No, what is it? It's a tarantula. Oh, and they're going to eat it? No, 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 no. Listen to Meat in 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. We're recording the week of Tuesday, June 8th, 2021. We're recording remotely with some folks in Asheville, North Carolina. And big shout out to Heritage Radio Network. Give us support. Come a member at heritageradionetwork.org. So Asheville, North Carolina, last year we were lucky to talk with some of the craft beer legends there from Highland Brewing and Asheville Brewing. And this year we're with another, the second oldest brewery in Asheville, North Carolina, is Green Man Brewing. So let's introduce our guests. Let's start with uh, Dennis and then Eric, just briefly introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Dennis Thief. I'm the owner, co-owner with my wife, Wendy, here at Green Man Brewery, coming to you live from the South Slope in downtown Asheville, North Carolina. Asheville and Eric? Hi, uh, my name is Eric McDonald. Um, I am the, you know, tap rooms uh, operations manager slash problem solver slash utility, whatever you want to call it, uh, here at Green Man Brewing. I've been uh, working here at Green Man with Dennis for about four and a half, almost five years now. Well, that's great. So, so last year in our Asheville episode, we got really a lot of the backstory from the late '90s of what was going on in Asheville, and it's. To me, it's it's still like an an amazing story, Dennis. Um, when did you discover Asheville and the craft beer scene? Because I know you came in a little later to to this business. I did. Um, I've been in the beer business <clears throat> since I was about twelve years old. I first discovered. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. 
back to Asheville, I discovered Asheville um, really exploring in 2008 when we were making a decision to move here from South Florida, where we're from. Our family business, which was a um, Miller Coors beer distributorship, was being sold in the process of being sold. And our Wendy and, and our four children, um, Wendy and I's four children were very young, and we decided to move to Asheville. And I drove up here uh, looking around, and I had printed out a, a sheet from an internet search of breweries of Asheville, and there were five at this time here in 2008. And the first one that I went to visit, when I pulled into town, sure enough, the screen man, when I discovered this little place, and I was just blown away. Um, the other four are Highland French Broad Pisca and Asheville Brewery. Those are kind of the original five. And we were the second oldest. Wow, you know, it's not really that long ago, but it, it feels like a long time ago. Um, what? Tell me about the green man mystique. It's like this green man. What yeah. is that? And and how does that relate to Asheville? Like, I, I know you're in the mountains. Well, What's a green man? I've been accused of being him on several occasions and asked if I was him on many occasions. Uh, the green man is very, very mythical. And um, he's the man of the woods, the protector of the animals. There are uh, scores of, of literature and art and and even um, you know old construction in, in Europe that pay homage to the Green Man. You know, uh, Puck in A Midsummer's Night Dream was a Green Man. Peter Pan. We took it a step further. If you go into our original tap room, Dirty Jacks, you'll see lots of Green Man. You'll see Yoda. You'll see Kermit the Frog. You'll see Frankenstein, etc. So it's a pretty wide open. Uh, we just like to say is whatever you want it to be, and what we do here is our interpretation of the Green Man is that logo and our great beer. Yeah, well, that that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and then what? Just give us some of the, some of the changes that happened. So you came in, you 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 bought the brewery. Um, what what did you make certain changes intentionally or you just kind of evolved as the industry evolved with the brewery? It was a gradual evolution for sure. So when I bought the when I purchased the brewery in 2010, we had been around already for about 13 years. But it was only a tap room and making great beer with a great vibe. There was no distribution. If we were doing glass growlers if you wanted to take it home you had to fill a growler you know so it was very different back then there was no social media when i bought it there was no website it was sort of this undercover underground grassroots killer tap room with great beer and a cult following that you just kind of knew about it and the locals to this day support that place we call it dirty jacks i'll tell you why and it's just a great vibe. The, the, our, our original brewery, just up the street from where I'm sitting now. So D Dirty Jacks, that's that's the original tap room. That's the original, correct. Um, it's a garage <laughs> with a 15 barrel. Basically, all of our beers were born there, and um, it's got a great vibe to it. That's cool. And w when you went there. Uh you must have learned from, you know, being in the beer distribution business, 
what were some of the first things that you, you know, thought about changing uh, in your model? Part of your question, that's a great question. Uh, sorry, I didn't answer it there, but it, it was so much to talk about. And we've been around so long, 25 years next year. And, and my tenure here is almost half. But my first idea as an old beer guy, an old distributor, was to take this brand that I thought, didn't know for sure, but thought was a great brand, a really great brand that just needed a lot of polishing. You know, there was no file. It was a, a piece of art that someone created and painted that was hanging outside of Dirty Jack. There was no file. We had to start from scratch. But the real core answer to that question, what my um, idea was to distribute, to put the beer on tap at places around town, in growlers, at the Earth Fair, and the Whole Foods, now Whole Foods, and have Whole Foods here then and make it available, more broadly available. To fast forward to today, we're in seven states, in cans, bottles, and kegs. Wow, that's great. And then uh, let's get to Eric. When did the, the Green Mansion open? So that's, that's is that your new tap room or brewery as well as, as tap room? What is the Green Mansion? Well, it's kind of interesting because, you know, last year, you know, we weren't even, you know, I don't even think that we were open when we were to celebrate the fifth year of the mansion, uh, the mansion's existence. Um, cause it was right in the middle of COVID. But so the thing about the mansion, and I don't know if, if you've visited before and, and just seen how, like how massive it is. It's a, it's a three story, beautiful facility, um, very upscale. Um, and it's its own experience. Whereas I, I feel like it's a very interesting dynamic um, for a brewery to have two tap rooms that are just completely different experiences altogether. Um, and there are, you know, there are like diehard, like dirties, uh, dirties folks that despise <laughs> like the mansion. Like it's too nice. It's too clean. It's too this, it's too that. Uh, it's too new. Um, but it really is on, on Saturdays, you know, we kind of call it, you know, every Saturday is kind of like a festival day. Um, and, and it's just a fun experience. There, there's, there's plenty of room. I mean, you're, you're right in the middle of the South slope, you know, everybody talks about this neighborhood as, you know, this is like the epicenter of Asheville's craft beer scene. Well, the, the mansion is the epicenter of that. So I, I think that's cool and, and very significant. What do you mean by the South slope? So there's a little part, there's a little neighborhood, uh, if you want to call it that, or an, an old warehouse district. Um, I mean, you're really still walking distance to downtown, but it is on the south side. And because of the way the geography works, it does slope down. And so that's where Dirty Jack's was. Um, first brewery tap room in Western North Carolina. And then it just seemed like over the years, everybody saw what a good idea it was. I mean, 10 years ago, um, the bartenders wouldn't even walk out of the place with cash in their pockets because it was such a scary <laughs> neighborhood yeah. to be in. But, um, but so, and it just seemed like everyone started kind of moving in. So now, you know, like I was saying 10 years ago, sketchy little garage with great beer. Now there's, you can walk to, there's 15 breweries that you can walk to like short, short walks, you know? So, um, it is the part of town where if 
you know, if you ask somebody, hey, where are all the breweries at? They're like, you want to go to the South Slope. Yeah. Hey, Dennis, so how does that happen? I know I know that kind of happened in Denver, too, with Wine Coop Brewing. It's like you don't think of Asheville or that part of Asheville as a rough neighborhood. Not anymore. What, is a, what, a, what does a brewery do that, that changes the neighborhood? Well, we were the first one here, um, and we mentioned that Dirty Jacks was the first. <clears throat> Actually, the Green Man, it's a little confusing. Green Man is the second oldest brewery in town, but Dirty Jacks was the original tap room for all of the Carolinas. It, it, when it opened, there were no other brewery tap rooms as Highland, who is the number, you know, the, the oldest Asheville brewery, didn't have one. They didn't have a tap room. It wasn't really a thing. When I answered the earlier question about what my goal was for Green Man initially, it was distribution. And that was the main thing. And we spent many years in the grind of developing our infrastructure to grow and add states when the main thing just continued to kind of rock on. And to this point, half of our business is tap rooms. And how did they get to that point? I mean, Asheville became very respected as a beer destination, but it really happened. It really kicked in hard when some breweries you might've heard of Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, Oscar blues opened in this part of the town. Those three guys, two of the three are in Asheville. And then uh, WikiBeat opened in 2014, and I can see them from my office. So it was just a, a very dense place to come and have a brewery beercation for tourists to come get a hotel. It's very pedestrian. You can walk around from one to the other. It's a lot of fun. That sounds pretty cool. So let's it talk is. about the beer. So go, going back to when you when you first took over Green Man, uh, what, what, what were a couple of the the beers that were classics that you've kept and have you improved on them? Like was the Porter, was that, was that uh, one of the originals? It was um, a fellow by the name of John Stewart was here when I took, when I took over in 2010. And we really had three beers that we were to this day as the foundation of our brewery. And they're English style by design. They're an ESB, an English style IPA and a Porter. Um, and to this day, they are still the core of our business. They're, they're beloved, respected. Green Man Porter is consistently voted as the best dark beer of Asheville, which is a pretty, pretty legit thing. And they are still here and rocking. And, you know, a Porter, um, coming from Florida was something that I was leery of. Like, what do you need Porter for? But, it's a real thing here in the mountains and um, I'm having one right now. Well, it tells you that, that that's a serious beer town if people are drinking a lot of Porter. That's for sure. But so it's the three, the ESB, IPA and Porter. They're available in bottles and cans and kegs. And to this day, they're still around and they're beloved. We're very fortunate to have great distribution on these beers as well. And to not be known as just for one or two, we have, you know, past that, we have some other ones, but those are the original three, the, the three wise men, we call them. They're pretty legendary. So after you took over, what was your strategy for expanding into other states? Did you go to one state? Did you go to several states? 
We tried to you know, do it how, slowly. How did you roll yeah. that out? Well, we started with North Carolina. Um, and it was a very heady time. We were, you know, this is 2012 now when we were really starting to expand and it was bottles. No one thought about the can phenomenon that it is now. Um, so we started with Charlotte, Bali, Wilmington, which is on the coast. It took a couple of years to solidify our home state. And then we entered into Greenville, South Carolina, which is only about 45 minutes from here, finished out South Carolina. And then we did Tennessee. And it was all pretty methodical and, and pretty slow. Then we did Georgia. Then we did Florida. And we just launched Alabama just a couple of months ago. So all of our seven state footprint are contiguous. And uh, pretty proud of, of the work we've been able to put together there over the many years and our distributor partners are so helpful. We're pretty mixed bag there. We've got Anheuser-Busch wholesalers, Miller Coors wholesalers, and independent craft beer distributors as well. So you, even it's in the Southeast, are the laws for distribution totally different from each state or are they similar? Well, they're pretty similar. Most states are franchised now or, you know, this, the big, the big trap conversation that, small breweries and distributors always get into is the the right to move type franchise protection where once you go with a distributor, you feel like you're locked in for life and you can't get out, you know. Um, it's not really worth all of the anxiety because we haven't really found that to be too much of an issue. So, I mean, no, they really aren't that different. The tax structure is very different in every state. And I can tell you, the volunteer state is the world's worst for that. It's a great state. We love Tennessee, but man, the taxes are brutal. Oh, <laughs> that, that's something new. I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, Tennessee is the uh, highest uh, beer tax state in the in the country, followed by Georgia, I think, which is our other highest. I don't think New York's. I think New York's pretty high too. Um, I think I think New York. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they give New York gives some break to New York state breweries. Um, but you're saying you're talking about for, for bringing your beers into those States. Is that where the tax is? Yeah. You, you have to pay state excise tax. Everyone pays federal tax. We all, all breweries pay federal tax, which was cut in half under Trump's administration a couple years ago. Um, but you know, the well, how, how much of those taxes matter for you? Like we can talk, you know, you're a business guy. How, how much do those excise taxes matter? They matter, they matter the bigger you are, you know, it's not a lot of money, um, for a small guy because you're not making a lot of beer, you know, um, it, but it adds up. These are small breweries, you know, every, every penny counts. It, it was cut in half. That was a big deal, especially right when COVID hit too, before COVID and it was solidified. So it does. It doesn't matter. You know, it's a hard business making beer, all in a brewery. But it's a hard business. So it was a great, it was a really great thing that happened. Yeah. Hey, let's go back to Eric. So if you want to talk about, let's talk about opening the Green Mansion, and or or Dennis, why did you guys pick that building? You know, how did the design form? You know, was it built as a brewery and then you just put on the tap room? I want to hear more about the Screen Mansion because it's it's. Wait, look, Eric, cool let me vibe. let me cue that let me cue that up for you real quick. <clears throat> to, yeah, for everyone listening, you might have not 
properly explain the fact that we have two tap rooms. I think Eric said it the best. We have two tap room experiences, which are right next door to each other. And you got the old Dirty Jacks, which is called Dirty Jacks for a reason because the locals nicknamed it that. And then we have the brand new Green Mansion. And it was really because the property was contiguous and we were able to buy that property. And then we built the Green Mansion from, from the ground up. Okay. So go ahead, E. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is interesting, too, that um, when, you know, people come through and and they're like, what, w- what was this building before? You know, there, there's this <laughs> assumption that it had to have been something that was like that we renovated or something that was added on to. But you have to explain, you know, and they just get blown away when you explain to them, this is this is all brand new construction five years ago. Um, I mean, but it is really is. Um, it, in terms of even like uh, even the draft system, like I th- I want to say that there's a big giant hotel downtown that has one similar, maybe maybe as big, but I mean the draft system is is three stories as well. So it, it's one of the, the the biggest, most impressive, most complex draft systems that I've ever seen, and I would be interested to see one. Um, uh, more so in town or, or even nearby. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just like a beer geeks. It's a beer geeks dream just to go into that, you know, go into that giant walk-in and, and just, and just looking at it. I mean, it, it really is. Um, it's just a, it's so a great- what, what is it? Like how, how many beers do you have on tap there? How, how many tap or bars do you have in, in this mansion? Yeah. So you've got the, uh, the main walk-in, it's it's massive it's the heart of the system it's there on the it's on the second floor and so then we have a fob system where we are sending beer up to the third floor bar um and then it also sends it down to the first floor bar and and it's just been great for me as kind of like as far as like my beer education to like to work on the system and figure out the problems and you're like you're working against gravity and temperature and all these things on this this huge scale, um, but so downstairs, first floor. Um, it, I mean, just a really nice bar. Um, it's a, it's copper topped with like the acid edge. Um, you've got eighteen taps down there. You've got merch. You've got to go. Um, all things Green Man, um, and then you go up to the third floor, and then you've got a bar that's at least twice the size of the first floor bar. So. Um, we don't have bar seating back yet, but we're, we're working on it. Um, and, and just a beautiful covered patio, uh, great view of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, I mean, it's, it's just a great place to, great place to come. I know that, you know, craft beer, you know, ta- you know, tap rooms, a lot of them are, you know, you're sitting at a picnic table and a, a gravel lot, <laughs> you know, that's it. And I, believe me, I've, I've been to a million of those, but but this is definitely it's it's its own experience. When you're up on the third floor, Jimmy, you're inside. You can you're inside of our packaging hall, basically. So when you're standing there having a beer, you can see our keg line, our bottling line, and our canning line, all while you're sitting there looking around. And uniquely, all of our ready beer is pumped over from the middle building. <laughs> it's a little confusing. I, I told you 
where we actually brew and ferment all of our beer in another building and then we pump we pipe it over so we don't actually do any brewing in here but it is pretty cool but you can um, see see the workings and then you can also see the mountains right yeah. exactly so yeah. you can look and there's actually a window on our patio so you can be looking out over the blue ridge mountains on a sunset or the, or you can look to your right and see um what dennis was saying is that you're you're not looking at the brewery but just our massive packaging hall you know it's it's all bright tanks it's all packaging um that's, that's where our, our bottling our kegging our canning um, storage everything is so i mean you're looking at a you know you're looking at the operation firsthand and i've even had people on more than on multiple occasions this is a weird phenomenon they ask me if it's real <laughs> like they asked me they asked me if the equipment is actually real like do we actually make beer with it <laughs> so, so they, think, or they think it might just be a disney world stage set. Yeah, yeah they think it's some sort of elaborate prop that's just it's it's just a, a strange phenomenon well our our original concept was to put a small little brew house in there that was from germany a nice copper um schmacken hoffman i forget the name of it um jimmy i am not a brewer by the way um but as we got into the project we just we're like man brewing beer in here is going to be tough so we flipped it to uh strictly packaging and when we had to it, we, we had to address canning which came along and i remember i told you we started with bottles and we were bottle heavy and when the can movement came came out as hard and we had to we had to do something and we had to get a canning line but luckily we had space for it well, I'll tell you, I, I like what you're doing. I'm going to go back to your background, Dennis, because, sure. and I'm also going to ask Eric about who you guys are, because secret, my my uh, uncle growing up worked for uh, an AB distributor up in New England, and we grew up with everything. They had they had liquor as well. So I grew up with, with the Budman t-shirts and all this other stuff. <laughs> but definitely, like, from that era, I'm, I'm, I know that the the old school guys like that, knew about sales and they also knew how to take care of their customers. That's very, very true. Yes. And you know, that's so true that you, you mentioned that. That was the first thing that when I started with the brewery and distributing, it was me, the, the, the main sales guy, the main delivery boy, the main growler filler, I would go into accounts and we were, we were out hustling the other few breweries that were in town because we serviced we're like, we want to, Getting new accounts, getting kegs on tap. I would say, you know, I can get that keg, you know, I can have it here in like an hour if you want. So it was all about service, you know. Yeah, my, my uncle told me a story years ago. It, this is like must have been 50 years ago that one of his one of his in a town, there was one of his top retail accounts. And the the, the bridge that goes, he was dependent on the bridge traffic and the bridge was going to be closed for a renovation, which could have taken five years, which would have put him out of business. And I, I think my uncle actually convinced the local state representative to, um, to, to not close the whole bridge when they did the construction. Mm-hmm. And that's what a sales guy did back then. You know, he, he actually has saved that business. That's great. And beer distributors are so tied into their community and it's such an important service that they provide. And they're so big now, some of these big ones. And the consolidation is what brought me to Asheville. So if you if, if I can keep it to under two minutes or less, I can give you a synopsis of my experience. Um, if you want to hear about it, oh, keep going, man! It's your show. <laughs> my, I mean, my life really. I'm kind of like a one trick pony. I mean, I've been in the beer business since I was little. 
And my first memory, one of my first memories is walking into the same Winn-Dixie after my dad picked me up from school and going right to the beer cooler and watching my dad look at it and then go to the back and load this cart and then come and fill the cooler. And I was fascinated by that. He was, he was merchandising the store because he was in the area picking me up from school. So going way back to 1951, my grandfather in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, was granted the Miller franchise and started a small beer distributorship and had Heineken and Champagne and Pabst as his first brands. And he grew it. And then my dad and his brother took it over and grew it and grew it and to a point where I was getting more involved after college and we sold it in 2008. And the beer business was very good to me and my family. I have so many rich experiences um, with people and um, delivering beer to accounts as a beer driver, the vast variety of people that you meet and the types of places you go into. Um, Another one of my first memories is unloading a train with a forklift. I mean, a train, they don't do that anymore. (laughs) It's in the repack room. I can't get that smell out of my head. You know, the repack room, you know what that is, right? No, what's a repack room? Well, beer distributors, they have a lot of broken beer and they want to put it back together and resell it. So it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the mechanic, the beer mechanic room where all the, all the beer goes to die or you have to try to save it. That's the repack room. <laughs> and it stinks in any distributorship. So, you know, as the later years, I was a sales manager. I have a lot of experience in sales. Um, then I was the vice president of this company. It was called William Thiessen Sons. And I was very fortunate to have this experience and uh, a lot of years in the beer business and traveled a lot. So in my later years, in my 30s, I developed um, a real appreciation for good beer. I was able to, to try to travel to Amsterdam to visit Heineken. I've been to Newport, Oregon to visit with Rogue. I've been to Mexico for Corona. They have an annual Corona meeting, which was then Gambrinas. And I met people like Jim Cook, had dinner with him on several occasions. Guys, a legend. Jack Joyce, rest in peace at Rogue. Of course, Sam at Dogfish. You know, the world has changed. When you heard about Stout Brewery uh, in Pennsylvania, Carol and Ed, Stout was one of, one of our brands. They went out of business, I think. Did you hear that? Yeah, I knew that. We, we, we had talked to her years ago. And here in town, we've got some legends like Ken Grossman. Oscar Wong at Highland and Kim Jordan, New Belgium. I think she, I don't think she's there anymore, actually. Um, so that's been my experience. You, you, you must have a million stories. And um, we're going to jump to Eric just for a second. Eric, I want to hear about you, you, how you got started in the business and how you ended up at Green Man. Yeah, so my background was always in, you know, uh, you know restaurant, business management. Uh, I, I worked out in uh, Denver. Um, I've managed places out in Boulder, Colorado, um, and got to see kind of the, I don't know, kind of the, the start of what I thought craft brewery was, you know, like you go, you know, you, you were out there and you'd, you'd go to the beer case and you'd see all the usual suspects. And then like 
like, oh, there's this six pack of this stuff called Fat Tire, you know, like in 2000, you know, 2000 and whatever. And started getting into it, started getting into it. And, um, you know, and, you know, and I was responsible, you know, for, you know, I was a beer buyer for a long time. I was, you know, responsible for building these tap lists and, and it just ran and it was just like, it was just right up my alley. Like, um, uh, I, you know, of course started homebrewing at home, making beer and just like getting into like, you know, homebrew communities. Um, and then over the years I just realized like, you know, I had to get more specific and I had to get more focused and, and, and I, and I had to work in breweries, you know, forget the whole, you know, not trying to, you know, it was all fine dining, restaurant management, things like that. And, and I, and I just wanted to focus, uh, wholly on this and, and it, it became a, it, it became a real passion of mine and, and it still is today. So when did you start at Green Man? Um, I started about four and a half years ago. I was actually, uh, I had my bags packed for uh, Denali, Alaska. Um, I had a job. <laughs> I had a job offer on the table to go work to go manage uh, a brewery out there. Was that Forty Ninth State? There it is. <laughs> yeah, I think we knew Jay Bullen was was a brewer there for a while. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, uh, my bags were packed. I was ready to go live in like some cabin out in the middle of nowhere until I could figure out how to get my family to <laughs> to come out there. So uh, I was I was days away from from leaving for Alaska, and a friend of mine calls me, and, and everybody in this town, you know, want, you know, wants to work at Green Man, so. I got this call from a good friend of mine that that was bartending here and was like, Hey man, they, they got, they got some spots over here. You, you need to come get it. So, uh, so I think coming, coming to work here for, uh, for green man was a, was a lot better than, uh, taking off for Alaska. So it was one of those. And Den- Denali, that's also a seasonal location too. So yeah, yeah. But- so I would have had to have, uh, you know, spend a lot of nights out in the woods by myself. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, great. Well, Hey, listen, we're off to a great start. We're going to be back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of heritage radio network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. 
Become a member and support us at heritageradionetwork.org. So I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here at Beer Sessions Radio, and this is our second Asheville, North Carolina show. We're talking with the guys from the Green Man or Green Man Brewery, uh, the second oldest brewery in Asheville. So we're about with Eric. Uh, he's the manager of the Green Mansion, which is the special brewery tap room that they have at the Green Man. Um, let's keep talking. So you started working there. When you first went in there, I guess I'm curious about how a you, you guys built this tap room to be like a draw. It said Saturdays, it's a beer festival vibe. You know, how did you guys evolve that? That did you open it with it with this concept in mind, or did it take a while to figure it out? Because it sounds like it's a big space, and there's probably a lot going on there. It's a, it's a huge space, you know, like just like the, I mean, just like the, the building maintenance alone, it, you know, is, is, is a full-time job. Um, and I mean, it really is like, you know, we, we were talking about the, the brewery district, you know, the South Slope. I mean, it's just this, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the, the entryway, you know, to the South Slope. Um, you know, we just got new, uh, we were just, we, we just got permission to put, you know, a, a big giant green man, you know, uh, you know, backlit, like really nice signage on the front. Cause we weren't allowed to do that before. And people thought our building was like a, a hospital or a fire station <laughs> you know, or something like that. So, you know, the city's weird about signage, but, but now we have these, you know, this is big green man face, you know, that like lights up like the bat signal at night, you know, and it's just, uh, yeah, it, it just it just draws people in, um, and it's it's just a, and it's a destination, you know, and it's it's sought after. Uh, we were talking about how Asheville is, you know, so on the rise and so you know and just growing and growing, and 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 an testament, you know, you know, and a testament to the popularity of, of craft beer in Asheville. Um, we had on days when it rains. We, you know, especially during COVID when we had some capacity concerns, there'd be a line of people. There'd be a hundred people down the sidewalk standing in the rain, uh, waiting to drink one of our beers out of a plastic cup, you know? <laughs> so like, it, it was just, it was wild to me. It, it was just really wild how the, like, if anything, like, I don't know, the, the popularity grew and like, like, like surged over one of the weirdest times that our country's ever seen. Let's go, let's go back to, um, I just want to go back to the evolution of your beers. So Dennis, when you, when you took over 2010, Green Man was noted for its English style beers like Porter, ESB, English style IPA. Um, when did you start adding different styles and, and what were some that that took off that you're still making. I know there's one called the trickster IPA that I'm dying to try. Well, I'm wondering if I could take this one, Dennis, cause I've actually uh, just poured myself one. Um, and, uh, Absolutely. And, and if that's cool, I'd like to kind of talk about it a little bit. That sounds great. As long as you, Eric, you remember the original name of trickster was, do you remember that? It was, a, a too hot, Timmy, too, it was like Timmy, <laughs> yeah. Timmy too hot. We had a fella who was a dirty jack swinger who passed away on us. He was taking a selfie in Mexico and grabbed a live wire and no longer with us. We made a beer for him. We called it Teddy Two Hops because he Teddy, was right. Teddy Too Much. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the the origins of Trickster IPA, uh, it's interesting because it was it was 
only designed for tap room only, you know, because for in order for this business to grow, the, the flagship beers, and we don't even like using that name, flagship, it's kind of antiquated, but you, but you have to grow and you have to evolve, but you also have to do so like in a very like authentic way. You know, you can't just completely like, you know, change your identity. So we wanted to make this, we wanted to make an IPA that was like, you know, modern, but not hipster, just kind of let's work it through. So uh, Trickster was put through the evolutionary process in the tap rooms and it took on so many different like iterations and variants like um you know it was at when it was originally made it was a style called an extra pale which i don't know it was just another one of those flash in the pan uh sort of beer styles you know like all the different red black white blue ipa brute ipa uh, you know triple ipa all that stuff um, and then for, for a while it was a double IPA and then for a second, it was a triple IPA. Uh, it was all these different things, but right now I just poured a fresh one. It's this, it's this beautiful, like light orange in the glass. It's got a little touch of haze, but it is not to be considered a, uh, a hazy IPA, uh, or New England style by any stretch. Um. You know, it definitely falls in that tropical IPA uh, sort of a realm. Um, you know, you've got Simcoe, Eldorado, Mosaic hops. And when these three hops get together, they're all great on their own. Um, but what you get is just this great, like, stone fruit. Uh, it's like peach, uh, papaya, um, bright orange zest. We just got into our most current we just moved off contract and got onto our new one where they're using super fresh hops for this right now. Um, and I mean, you can smell it. Like when I show up for work in the morning and I'm crossing the street, I know, <laughs> I, I know if they're canning trickster all before I even walk through the, the main <laughs> doors, because you can, when you get underneath the loading dock, you can, you can smell it coming off the, coming off the canning line. Wow. That's one of the joys of that. So is the whole district smelling of like malt and hops all the time? <laughs> so there's a, there's this <laughs> smell that like so what's interesting is like there's also a uh, there's also a barbecue place that is smoking uh, whole hog meat like twenty four seven on our block. So when you pull up, you're getting um, you know you're you're not only getting like you're getting that like. Uh, you know, if you've ever like homebrewed before and you like, and you're like, and you got the boil going, you know, and then you just added your hops, you're just, and then there's like this smoky, like roasted pig smell. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good vibe here. It's a, there are a lot of worse places to work for sure. Well, how about this tennis? You, you, let's, let's walk us through your neighborhood. So I, I'm coming to Green Man. Yeah. There's smells of malt and hops and, and smoky barbecue. What what are a couple of places I, I should go to? Because I feel like this is the summer when people are going places, and I feel like Asheville is one of those. It it really feels that way. We're very, we're located right in the heart of the South Slope. We were the first one here, so if you live in Asheville, you've been here, you know we're here. We're kind of in the middle of it all. 
Um, I think you can start and end the green man, but we don't have a restaurant. We don't sell liquor and we sort of have a reputation for closing early, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, there's two wicked weeds within uh, about a seven iron from here. Burial is right behind us. So if it were me coming to Asheville with my buddies, I would probably, you know, it's kind of also a day drinking thing on <laughs> the weekend, you know, so is an earlier thing to it. So if, if it were me, I would, I would tell folks to go to Bramari or Wicked Weed to have some lunch. They're right next to each other. Bramari is a, a, a brewery that has a restaurant. Uh, Wicked Weed has a full restaurant, of course. Get some lunch. Come to Green Man. Have a Green Man lager. Start it light. Keep it easy. And then once you're done enjoying this, you got to go to Burial, which is about uh, 50 yards away. Probably wow. probably less than that. Uh, if you want a cider, there's a great cidery right across the street from us called Urban Orchard. From there, you want to cross the street back to the north, and you want to go to Catawba Brewery, C-A-T-A-W-B-A. They're our neighbor on the other side. They're about a pitching wedge from here <clears throat> enjoy a one of their beers their white zombie is a wit that is phenomenal and very popular in town keeping it light because you're day drinking still <laughs> and um from there you want to head up the street to Asheville brewery they've got a couple locations right next to each other they've got an outdoor space that just opened that's killer and they're doing starting to do some live music now with summer sitting so by then, after a couple of beers there, you're probably going to want to take a shower and go back to your hotel, maybe take a quick siesta, come back to Green Man, you're going to ramp it up a little bit. Now you want to maybe do a Wayfarer IPA, which is our American Citrus 6%er, that is nice transition out of the light stuff, and um, maybe make the round all over again, get the nighttime vibe, if you're feeling <laughs> like you want, if you want some liquor, there's a great distillery right next door to the cidery and Wikileaks Funkatorium. And that's called the chemist. And then the Funkatorium is Wikileaks Sour um, facility. It's a great spot. So all those places, I think I named all of them. Oh, there's another brewery. Sorry, I missed uh, Twin Leafs is right there too. Right across from Wikileaks. So all these places, if you were following you there, it's kind of jumping around. They're all within a half a mile of each other it's, it's an it's, a, it's an amazingly pedestrian friendly um experience for sure i'd mention Eurisco as well they're kind oh, of yes. thank you they're thank downtown you. but they're kind of hidden but it, uh, they they make some of the best beer in town that sounds great man and what about food uh it is what, what kind of food do you get you know in between there besides going to a brewery well I'm, i might take that one um so you know, we are lucky to have, uh, there's Buxton Hall, which is, that's, that's a place I was telling you about where like, you know, when I, when I roll up to work and it smells like, you know, you know, smoke pork, but <laughs> it's, you know, because of them over there that, um, uh, uh, chef Elliot Moss, he's, you know, kind of like a local food celebrity chef and has done a lot of projects in town. That's his, uh, that's his barbecue place and 
and and and it's always it's always great. Um, there, there's a new pizza place, uh, Paisa, where you know I know you, you say you're from New York. Uh, you're going to have a. My wife's from New Jersey, so we have a really hard time finding good pizza around here. <laughs> like for sure, yeah. it, it's really hard to find. The, the pizza, food is coming. The beer, the beer is established, and the food is is starting to pop up. And yeah, I, I, I think things you know, regional things like bagels and pizza and stuff like that is hard to find. But there, there is a there is a you know a pizza place called Paisa, just literally, you know. 50 yards down the street that they just got started and you know, they're doing some good things. Um, so I, I see the, I see the food stuff on the South slope. I mean, yeah. downtown, downtown's a different story, but uh, on the South slope, I, I think the, I think the food programs and things are going to really start. You just reminded me is I've met Elliot Moss once. Oh, I know yeah. Buxton Hall. He's easy yeah, at well-known in the barbecue scene. And um, maybe mm-hmm. it was six years ago, five or six years ago, every year I hosted a, uh, it's now it's a barbecue event in New York city called pig Island. And we, we used to do a thing where we were unloading pigs from the farm truck in this market in Manhattan and, and the chefs would come and pick up the pigs. And this guy walks by and sees his whole truck full of pigs and snaps a photo. And it was Elliot Moss. <laughs> Only time I ever met him, but he was pretty cool. He was just walking through New York and suddenly he sees a truck full of pigs and uh, he was pretty happy. So well, what, I, I, can, I can think, I can imagine, now that you told me, I can picture the smell coming out of Buxton Hall, and it's one of the places I want to go when I go to Asheville, so. We're, we're thrilled to have But them. when it blends with the Brude at Green Man, it's, it's something yeah, special. Yeah, so it's like hops, malt, <laughs> and pig. <laughs> I like that. Well, last, let's, we're going to wrap this up, but like, okay, I'm, I'm also in the, there's Trickster, there's IPA. How many different beers do you like have going at a certain time in the tap room uh, versus what's being distributed. Are you distributing everything, Dennis? Or, or we we, um, we package about eight or nine beers for distribution. Um, uniquely, the ESB IPA and Porter are still in bottles, which is unusual. Um, but we have a session sour fruited uh, Berliner Weiss called Tartberry that's extremely popular. We have a great lager. We've got a lot of IPAs. We have 18 taps on at our tap rooms. And we're always coming out with something new every week, just about. Um, I'm excited to... Uh, we have a unique product called um, Ginger's Half Soul. It's an alcoholic ginger beer that's, um, I guess, well, by style, an alcoholic ginger beer. But I think it's more than I think it's kind of beyond seltzer. So we don't have a seltzer. <laughs> don't have a seltzer. A lot of guys, you know, we could have another podcast to talk about seltzer, which is a, uh, having a profound effect on our industry. But this alcoholic ginger beer is kind of like a seltzer. Um, and it's really taken off. We've had it for about a year and a half. We've been canning it for just less than a year. And I'm excited about that one. It's about our fourth or fifth seller, bestseller here at the tap room. The trickster that, is our that, That's a traditional style, though, right? Like uh, alcoholic ginger beer. It is. Right? It's, it's fermented. Yes. It, is, it is fermented sugar. Yes, sir. And it's, um, ours is the lowest in sugar uh, that I've been able to find. A lot of the alcoholic ginger beers are super sweet, have tons of sugar. Um, ours does not. And it's been really popular. I'm excited. I'm excited about this product. So the name is a 
there's an urban legend or some kind of myth that gingers or redheads, I'm a redhead, don't have a soul. <laughs> have you heard that one before, Jimmy? <laughs> I heard that gingers are more sexually responsive. <laughs> but <laughs> Hey, okay, all right, go with that. You're good, anyway, <laughs> it's, a, it's a play on that. So that's uh, been our exciting product launch. And year. excuse me for saying that. <laughs> Not at all. Um, um, but it's interesting, though, that, uh, you know, you guys are talking about, like, trends and just, you know, how popular this, this ginger beer has been. Uh, Dennis mentioned how popular our lager is. Uh, but what I've been seeing is, like, it, it is really interesting is how popular our lighter, like, low ABV, like, we, we've done some low-cal stuff, we've done some gluten-reduced stuff. It's just interesting to see over the years, like when I first started and it was, you know, like I said, when I was like, you know, building Tapless, like it was all about, I want your highest ABV. I want your biggest, baddest, you know, double IPA. I want all these things. And then like, it's just kind of cool. Like kind of going off of what Dennis was saying that like, it's been one of the longest running trends that I've noticed where it's shifting from big to small, you know, it's, it's shifting from heavy to light you know it's kind of shifting from excess to like more refined you know so like our low abv stuff uh you know jimmy you were asking about our tap list i would say out of 18 uh you know we don't go over like you know six and a half percent you know like like you know trickster's like a seven and that's like high for us but like um you know our we're lucky to have the brew team that we have like they're 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 very up on it. They're very talented, um, and and they're putting out loggers now that are just, you know, we've got a dark check logger that's like four percent, and people love it. You know, like it's it, it's just really interesting to see the, the shift in in trends. You know, yeah, I, I think I think the answer to hard seltzer. I don't want to do a show about hard seltzer, but no. I think the answer <laughs> yeah. is just just more low ABV beers that are really good. Or like mm-hmm. your, your ginger beer that's actually fermented. Um, and I even I have friends that, that a guy that, you know, that makes a alcoholic kombucha, but they're actually interesting beverages. And um, I, I, I think that that's you guys have the challenge in front of you. And I, I hope you don't make a hard seltzer. So <laughs> the younger, <laughs> the younger generation, the younger <laughs> drinkers are driving this trend. They're they're healthier. They're more mindful of what they put in their bodies. They want the alcohol, but they want less sugar, less carbs, blah, blah, blah. You know this. They want more, you know, to be able to rationalize in your head that, well, this is better for me. It's lowering sugar or whatever. And and that's why we've seen the, the meteoric rise of seltzer. I'm excited about our ginger beer. We put out Green Man Lager, which is a 4.2 low-cal, 120 calories. The original name of that beer, which is our second best seller at the tap rooms was actually what's your lightest beer question mark was the name of the beer <laughs> because we get asked that we get asked that question incessantly here yeah no, he, he's right and that was that was how people ordered their beer like you know 12 years ago when i like people would say you know what's your highest heaviest you know you know biggest one now it's like they're like what's your lightest beer you know what's do, do you have anything that's like gluten-free uh, you know, uh, you know, do you have anything that's like not hoppy? You know, it's, it's, a, it's just, it's a very interesting. Yeah. Hey, one, no, but little, last thing before we go, Dennis, back to when you first found Green Man Brewery. Um, 
you know, we've heard a lot about you. So just tell us like the general details of how you bought a brewery back then, because it seems like five or you know years ago, suddenly people were paying crazy prices for, for breweries or, or the brands. What, what, what was it like buying a brewery that was really just a little tap room back then? It was very um, rewarding. And um, I couldn't, it was very questionable. Um, a lot of folks um, close to me were like, why are you doing that? <laughs> it wasn't for sale. It didn't have a for sale sign. I was, I was lucky enough to have been able to introduce have been introduced to the owner, Joe, the founder. And I had lunch with him and I said, Hey man, would you, uh, would you ever sell your brewery? Would you be interested? Because I think he got, you know, and he, he had a lot going on. He had other businesses and I felt like I could really do something with it. I was, I was then 38 and I'm a creative person. And I had a lot of great, I think I had great ideas, some bad ideas about my tenure here too, but I had a lot of ideas for what this thing could be. A lot of, um, vision and a lot of it has come come to fruition and just a quick shout out to my wife wendy who came into the picture a few years later we couldn't do it without her and we are a closely family held business with no outside interest it's just my family and i'm very proud of it and it was to be to answer your question extremely rewarding and i'm i'm grateful to to have this brewery and to be able to spread joy to folks and, and make them happy, especially last year. Well, that's, that's a great story, Dennis. And I, I that's something Thank I love. I, I just love the, the old school business aspect of it. It's like you, <laughs> same thing. I've, I've had situations where there's an old restaurant and the, the person wants to retire or get out of it. And, and someone else comes in and makes it better and everybody's happy, you know, and, and that's, you probably, that's, seems like you built on this great vibe and uh i actually respect the way you've done it because it you. seems like you, you're paying homage to that original green man so a lot of hard a lot of hard work we've had a lot of fun along the way as well yeah and uh we're, we're definitely going to come down and see you guys I just want to thank you one more time for joining me here on heritage Ray network thanks to eric and dennis a uh, big shout out to our engineer armin spengen and our producing intern caroline fox I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time. Oh, and by the way, maybe we'll be down in Asheville this summer. See you later. Come see us. Thanks, guys. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio is supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.